People are still being shot and killed by police. There's still surveillance. There's still going to be a U.S. empire. These very core fundamental forms of violence are not going to be erased. With the U.S. elections now behind us, and with Joe Biden becoming president-elect, I wanted to ask Muslim Americans how they felt about the work that went into electing Joe Biden and where Muslim Americans go from here. I spoke with Abid Ayyub, Huda Katibi, Tasnuva Khan, and Saadia Ahmed on their thoughts and reflections. Saadia, Abid, Huda, Tasnuva, assalamu alaikum to you all. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on this TMV Roundtable where we are discussing our post-election thoughts and what's next for Muslims in America. I'm sure you can all agree it's been uh, crazy times uh, and uh, in many ways we're kind of out of the woods but in many ways we're entering uh, a new set of woods with new challenges to face. Um, I wanted to start off just by asking what role did Muslim voters play in this election? The way we've done things in the past there's been small grassroots initiatives here and there different organizations but this time there was a lot of creation and collaboration um, and I think, you know, over a million Muslims voted in the election. That's phenomenal. Like, that's beyond anyone's expectations of what was there before the election started or the early voting started. Um, states like Michigan, I think Muslims delivered. They delivered Michigan to the Biden victory. And I think Minnesota, what we've seen there, is just exceptional. 60 plus Muslims that got elected this election. And that says something when you see that in the legislature and it reflects what our community looks like. We looked at this election uh, strategically to see where we needed to uh, where we needed to help out in order to get voter turnout um, and what community we could actually um, build those coalitions with i feel like there is this sentiment and i saw this you know on social media you know leading up to the election there there was this kind of sentiment that muslim organizations who are uh kind of you know um representing uh, the Muslim grassroots uh, on the ground for the Biden uh, uh, campaign uh, were being kind of, you know, th there was a lot of kind of, I don't use the word fighting, but there was a lot of inter-dialogue, let's say, just to be kind, um, about uh, various organizations and, and whether or not they, they have essentially the right to represent um, uh, Muslim voters. Do you think that that kind of, you know, infighting is kind of unfair leading up to an election where it's so important that Muslims uh, gather together uh, as a coalition and, and, and get a... Uh, Trump out of office? The Muslim community is diverse and there has to be important questions that are asked and our organizations do need to help be held accountable. Um, so I, I see nothing wrong in conversations about directions Muslim organizations are going, you know, as long as they're done in a manner that's productive and in a manner that's intended to move the community forward. Um, and I think, you know, how organizations respond to that is also telling of the direction they want to go. And I think organizations, and, and I've been with an organization before at, at ADC that's been under the gun, that's been under community pressure to make changes. And I've gone through it on the other side. And, and I understand the dynamics of running an organization, the dynam dynamics of being on that end. That's a separate conversation of how organizations have to react and have to respond to community pressure and valid concerns. I think that the, the question many raised was, well, is, is this a time to talk about, you know, community um, um, issues at the time where we have an elections where we're trying to vote out a fascist and um, you know er everybody has a different opinion there is no right or wrong answer and, and both sides have valid concerns about the timing and so forth it, it wasn't 2016 on repeat a lot of people did fall in line did support Joe Biden even though they didn't you know may not have agreed that he was the best choice personally I do think he was a, a, a better choice than Donald Trump I happily voted for him I didn't have an issue voting for him 
Um, are his policies perfect? No, by any means they're not. He's not the perfect candidate, but I'm not looking for the perfect candidate. I'm not looking for somebody that I'm going to go out and, and stand in line for hours and it's going to get me, you know, pumped up to, to see him. I'm, I'm looking for a president that's normal. You know, somebody that we can, when we do fight against our, you know, fight policies and push back on, somebody that's going to be receptive to listening to us. So the Democratic Party, Joe Biden's administration, we have to give them room to prove, you know, to, to, to prove themselves to the community. We have to give them room to answer to our concerns and our demands and, and see how he reacts. And now I'm not saying Biden is going to completely shut the door on issues. He may well come out and be the best president we've seen for the community. We do have to give him that opportunity to do so. And we have to give um, that room for him to, to work and, and navigate with us and see what comes about. Something of it that you said that like we just want a normal president. And I think that that is really scary for me because I think a normal president in the United States is a warmonger. Um, we'll still enact other types of bans. We'll still, as children are still being separated in the United States via the incarceration systems. Um, people are still being shot and killed by police. There's still surveillance. There's still gonna be a US empire. And so these like, these very core fundamental forms of violence are not going to be erased at all. And I think that is something that, um, it's kind of central to what I'm, I think I'm really pushing for is that, uh, yes, we should have a diversity of tactics. Like, absolutely. We can't all just like protest everybody in the street and then like think everything's going to change um, if we don't have a strategy, if we don't are able to like actually think about things very strategically. I agree that a diversity of tactics is very important, but I also think, and there, I think there's a celebration. I think there's a difference between a celebration of Trump leaving office and Biden entering office. I think it's like, Great. I love seeing Trump depressed leaving the White House or that, at that landscape. The whole thing at the landscape, that was great. You know, like I, I love that. But there's, for me, truly nothing to celebrate about Biden taking office and truly nothing to celebrate about going back to the status quo when the status quo is so deeply violent. The bar has been so much lowered based on how much violence that we've normalized. And I think that that's something that we can't allow. We can't allow ourselves to normalize violence. Like Biden saying that he's gonna reverse the Muslim ban, he shouldn't be paraded as a hero. That is like the basic thing that he should be doing. And so I think that us getting excited that Biden is doing not even the bare minimum, but just like reversing back to a normal violent status quo is not a celebration. And I think that unfortunately Trump has really, really destroyed our sense of normalcy. Um, but are also like before that, even our sense of normalcy was like really in danger. <laughs> and I think we don't do enough imagining about what we're actually trying to build toward. Um, and I think if we're actually able to sit down and be like, all right, we're trying to elect Muslims into positions of power for what? What is our end goal? Like we're going to rally around Biden to get him into power for what? Are we expecting him to end US support for Israel? On the contrary, he was the architect of Obama's made, like, biggest donation to Israeli military aid in history. Are we trying to elect Kamala Harris into power in order to end the incarceration of black Muslims and Muslims? Absolutely not. She's the architect of so much incarceration and like refused to legalize marijuana. And so I think when we, when we are thinking about like the deep actual structural issues that Muslims are facing, we can't be naive to assume that America is not going to be an empire because we've chosen a lesser of two evils. I just want to put it, when, when I say normal, I don't mean normal like, oh, we're going to accept his policies. I'm not like a normal person we can push back against. A normal person. I don't think we can push back against them. And that's well, the I think I, I would rather push back against somebody like Donald Trump in office that, than someone like Trump. I'm sorry, like Biden in office and someone like Trump. And I'll tell you why is the domestic policies. Now, whether we want to admit it or not, we're, we're impacted by those. So I had, I'm an immigration lawyer. And 
I've had the, the conversations I've had to pa- have the past four years. Yes, Biden and Obama were bad under immigration, right? But they were not this bad. So I would rather be pushing back at the not this bad than the very bad. But I want to ask you, you said the idea of a normal president scares you. So what would you say is the ideal normal president? I don't want a president. <laughs> and I think that might be scary for people. But I think at the end of the day, we have to recognize that we are on stolen land. And I think for a community that is so hellbent on making sure that Israel does not continue to illegally occupy Palestine, we have to understand that we also are in like an, a futuristic version of what Israel could look like in the United States. We are on stolen land at the end of the day. And I think we have to recognize that. I think we have to grapple with that. But we don't. I think we also have to grapple with the fact that like Muslim countries around the world and Muslim people and people of color around the world will always, always um, be suffering through American imperialism and be subject to it because we are benefiting from cheap labor. We're benefiting from exploitation and sweatshops around the world. And that will always happen regardless of who is in, like, who is in position of power. I think the Muslim community is, especially the non-Black Muslim community, I should specify, I think is kind of towing that line between just playing the game and trying to assimilate within a system of white supremacy or actually working toward building structures of power outside of that. Um, Things that black Muslims have been doing since before all of us have been born. Um, And so I think what's really important is that I I think it's it's challenging to see a sort of like, um, like a representation politics or like this idea of like, um, we, we too can be American when like, that's not like, that's not the goal, right? We can be whatever we want. Right. But I think our focus should not be in like being American, but our focus should be on what can we do in order to bring justice and liberation for our people, not just in the United States, but globally. I always think about like if the Prophet, peace be upon him, or the Ahlul Bayt were alive today, living in the United States, what would they be doing? Would they be, they'd probably be in jail because they would refuse to pay taxes. But I don't think many of us would recognize that like our like beloved religious leaders would be incarcerated in this country or like our beloved religious like role models um what would like what sort of fight would they be waging and i think that it would not be like let's get biden elected and i'm not saying that like anybody doing that is like un-islamic of course i'm not at all trying to make that argument i think that if we're actually able to think about as muslims what does justice and what does liberation look like on a holistic view um i think that for me at least has helpful been helpful in like reframing where I find my role. Can Muslims really work with Joe Biden's administration or are we just kidding ourselves? In terms of Muslim representation, we don't know what that's going to look like. And it almost seems that it's going to probably be um, those who are going to just fall in line and um, fall in line with like his center politics. But that's not actually what's going to um, represent the Muslim community at large. The fact that there is a growing coalition of grassroots um, American Muslim organizations, um, he needs to reach out to those. Um, the, the administration needs to reach out to the um, the grassroots Muslim organizations. And it has to be a coalition. It, has, it cannot be one specific organization that's going to vet um, who's going to um, represent Muslim voices across the country um, and, and in a Biden administration. Um, and so what we're, we're hoping is that um, we reach out to the Biden administration and explain that some of the most popular voices um, and those who have grassroots connections to our communities. There's going to be a role for Muslims, but who are who's going to represent those voices? Who's going to who's going to represent Muslim American voices? It's about pushing the administration to really uh, understand uh, that the voices of the Muslim community is, you know, again, it's not a monolith, but um, that they should at least 
uh, reach out to the coalition of organizations. We have to realize this is a path to progress, right? Nothing's going to happen overnight. Um, certain organizations have gotten us in the door, but this is where, you know, the Democratic Party has done a good job strategizing. Um, and they did not invest the kind of money that I would have liked to see in battleground states like Texas. Um, you know, it was an afterthought in minority communities. It was a transactional type of relationship where it's like, we need your vote, we're coming, but what are we investing back, right, in those communities? So I think those are the places we have to hold uh, this you know, administration accountable, and they need to use the strategies they've used, the different people they put in place in the different states to get out the vote from the party and really get down to the grassroots, like this Nuva said. Find out what people need, and each group is gonna need something different. This is the job of the administration. We set them up, we deliver to uh, seats in the Senate from Georgia, and then we hold them accountable and tell them, this is what you owe us now, right? Because this is not gonna work unless we work together. I know it's sometimes easier to say, you know what, I don't agree with this, so I'm not gonna get involved, but that's not the solution, right? We're not gonna get anywhere. We have to raise our kids here. Our parents are getting older. There's so many issues other than the ones that were polarized around in our community. That's one of my frustrations because I think we get so polarized on certain issues, we forget everything's intersectional. There's so many different things we're all facing right now. So, you know, justice was on the ballot. Healthcare was on the ballot. All these things matter. And it's not just, you know, foreign policy or pro-choice or LGBTQ rights, right? All of this is connected. If we do not take care of every American's needs, we're not going to get better as a country. So it's not an option whether we can work with them. We have to work with them. Yeah. And we have to make sure that the organizations that may seem like gatekeepers, they are letting everybody into that conversation. And if they're not putting us at the table, then we need to pull up a chair and be at the table. We got to have some hard conversations, right? Some tough conversations for the community. And, and you know, what, what I'm hearing is, listen, it's not going to, it doesn't all come down to who's in office. There's, there's just some things that a president can or can't fix. And I think, um, you know, as a community, we have, we have bigger issues that we need to, we need to talk about and discuss. We have issues that are impacting us directly, but we have a lot of issues impacting us on the state and local level, right? Where we do have a lot of Muslims that are running and, and winning office in, in, on these levels. And I think it's important to engage them on our issues. I don't think we are ever going to agree on, uh, you know, formally on a, a single president or a single candidate. But I, I do think we need to come together to figure out what, you know, how we're going to handle our disagreements. Um, how we're going to work together on some of these issues. And if somebody's not willing to play within, uh, you know, what, what's within what's the best interest for the community, then they need to be, you know, set aside. People need to make clear, you know, their intentions and, and what they're, you know, what they're pushing uh, and how we're going to work together on these issues. Really, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who is in office. Um, if the community is being torn apart, not working together, we're going to get weaker. And Unfortunately, a lot of the issues we're working on now, whether it be the Muslim ban or anything else, they've been around. These issues have been around. So sure, like what was said earlier, Biden, you know, he will reverse the, the, the Muslim ban, but others have used it. You know, Carter used it. Reagan used it. The first Bush used it. Clinton used it. Obama used it. I mean, you know, the, 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 we have to be a bit more savvy and sophisticated in how we address our issues. Simply saying reverse the Muslim ban executive order isn't strong enough. But coming out to say, hey, get rid of this section in the INA, which, you know, allows him to have a Muslim ban, that's a bit more sophisticated. That, that we got to get to a level where we're not making cosmetic asks as a community. We're not asking for an appointment. We're not asking for meetings at, 
you know, with, with this administrator or with this secretary, we've had those, but we, we need to come together and say, what are our sophisticated detail asks as a community? And we have to be brave enough to leave the party if they don't deliver in the next four years. I think Donald Trump was an anomaly. I don't think anybody was ready to keep him in office. When Abed was talking about local engagement, I think there was something valuable there that we need to highlight. So we don't just look at the top down, right? When we're going to make the real change, the things that Hoda is talking about, for example, it, it's going to be at the local and state level. You know, the things, the decisions made at the local level affect our lives within weeks, state decisions within months, right? National decisions, it's almost a year, two years sometimes before they impact our lives. So we're really going to have to focus on a lot of this grassroots and those relationships we have with our local and state officials and get things done there. Um, I think this, you know, I can point blame to the Democratic Party on things that they don't do right and things of that sort. But unless, for my life to be impacted and for better equality and justice and equity um, and inclusiveness, it's going to start at my local level. I actually made a pledged that I was going to phone bank every single day since early voting ended. And I did. And I'll tell you, there was a lot of insight I got from there because I was phone banking mostly um, minority you know, communities, communities of color. And a lot of it was South Asian and a lot of it was Muslim, right? Because there's all that intersectionality. And really, it, it did come down to a few issues, right? And then we don't need to go to the nitty gritty of these issues. But like this Nuva was saying, there's a lot of Sharia and there's a lot of Islamic principles that I think we're forgetting. Um, you know, the compassion, the equity, the justice, all this was on the ballot. And this is in line with what we believe. So when we sit there, for example, I had a lot of especially males um, that were South Asian and Muslim, middle age, most frustrating group to phone back, I have to tell you that. And every single time I would get a, oh, you're, you're a Muslim, you're a baby killer. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about pro-life, pro-choice. Pro-choice doesn't mean we're telling everyone to get abortions. We're not. We're just saying someone has the right to go talk to their spiritual leader, their medical professional, and make a decision for themselves without the government saying you can or cannot do something, right? And I can go into a lot more details as a woman into that. Um, and then going back to also, you know, when we were talking about um, LGBTQ rights and just rights in general, I actually talked to a scholar, a pretty known scholar about this because I was really getting frustrated while I was talking to especially Muslim voters. And he was saying, you know, when we read about Prophet Lut, it's not the fact, I mean, yes, there was a sin there, but the major sin was the arrogance. That was the story. That was the principle that the fact that we think, oh, we can do whatever we want. So what? God said something, right? So I think there's a lot of education that needs to happen within our community about what these issues mean, because they're buying into the rhetoric, they're buying into the social media, they're buying into whatever is said to them and the herd mentality starts, right? And one person tells another because we're a very social community and all of a sudden everyone's voting one direction and it's all based off false information or false thoughts. And I'm not saying, I know there's a lot of variance in people's perspectives when it comes to, you know, our dean, everyone takes it a different way. But I think there's some basic principles of justice in there that we're completely ignoring. The principle of compassion. I mean, if there's anything we should learn from our Sunnah, it should be compassion for each other, right? There is definitely a line that we need to be drawing. Like, there is no way in hell that we should ever be working with Zionists. Because in working with Zionists, um, like the ADL, like we are inherently allowing them to also feel validity in what they're pushing for, which is apartheid. Um, and working with, like, even for example, a lot of Muslims want to work with Trump, right? They were like asking Trump to like do this, asking Trump to invade this. Um, if we have to draw a line about where we are not going to negotiate our values, because once we take that first step to be like, 
okay, like we don't need like healthcare for everybody, but healthcare, for, you know, once we take that first step to negotiate our values, it's so much easier to just keep negotiating and keep negotiating. And so by the end of the policy that's passed, we don't even recognize it, it has no teeth. Um, and so and I, th I think that's something that's really important is like nobody that has sold out identifies as a sellout. No one's like, oh yeah, I'm the sellout of the Muslim community. They still think that they have, like they're representing the Muslim community. They still think that they have the Muslim community's interests, best interests at heart. Um, but it's because it's like these series of small negotiations that by the end of like this, this time, you look back and you're just like, you're in a completely different place. And I think that is something that is really easy to get sucked into with electoral politics is like the small negotiations that have to be made for that a very basic, simple policy. Um, but I think about like the millions of people that voted for Biden, that young people, young black and brown people got to vote for Biden, even though they didn't even want to. Millions of people, what would happen if they all went on strike and demanded something? Labor strike. The NFL was about to go on strike before Obama called it. All of the people who who have power in this country, what if everyone just stopped working and the economy came to a halt until a demand was met? Like that would allow us to get something that we would have to otherwise sit and wait for years and years and years in negotiations until like something passes that is not like this empty. So I think that we have to recognize as people, not as Americans, but as individuals, um, um, we have collective power. We don't have individual power. We don't have power within people in electoral politics, but we have collective power. And if we're able to realize that the same way that they're able to realize that in terms of voting, that can get us these goals that we want to get in so much more powerful ways on our terms and not on their terms. I want to clarify what I said. I didn't mean that we work with everybody. There is definitely a huge wavelength, right? There are people we work with and there are people we don't. Um, and, you know, each of us have a different level of what is no no let's not touch that like trump yeah there is no way on earth you could ever get me to a place with him but um you know going back to the local like you were saying we have to build our own structures we i'm, I'm a community builder i'm progressive i am all about building things up from the grassroots and making our communities stronger and better one community at a time because i don't think there's going to be a time that nationwide policy is going to change the world and make everything better overnight. It's not going to happen. So I think we're going to have, we have a lot of hard work ahead of us. Um, all the people that think we've done our duty, it's not, you know, Nipsey says the mar marathon continues and I, that's how I live my life. Right. Had to quote Nipsey there. Sorry. Um, but you know, may he rest in peace. I'm about to get like a, a, a put my little religious preacher hat on. And I think, you know, what's happening and I'm seeing this now, particularly with, you know, newer generation, we, are ha we, we have too much faith in government and not enough faith in our religion. And I'm seeing this happen with, with the younger generation coming. Um, and it's, it, it worries me, right? And I see this happen on both sides. I see people on the right saying, well, you know, if Joe Biden is president, my children are going to be exposed to X, Y, and Z. And I see people on the left saying, well, Donald Trump is exposing my kids to X, Y, and Z. But at, at the end of the day, you are raising your kids at home. You, you, you feed them, you, you, you give them your, their religion, you teach them right from wrong, you expose them to whatever they're going to be exposed to. And really what I blame a lot of this on is, you know, my generation, and I'm, I'm 40, but 20 years ago, there was like a mass exodus of people going to the mosque. When we were 19, 20 years old, right after 9-11, you know, Muslim Americans stopped going to the mosque, right? We, mosque participation dropped. I, I saw it in Dearborn. I saw it everywhere. And I'm, I'm sure if there's data on it, it'll back me up. Now these people have children and because they didn't have the, the, the core of their faith as young adults by going to the mosque, by learning the religion, having faith in our religious institutions, they're unable to, 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 to teach their children, 
right? My parents spent time in the mosque. They were able to teach me at the mosque. They were able to get me familiar with it. But if you have somebody that as, as, as a young adult was not at the mosque, was not le learning the religion, they don't know where to look for their kids. They're looking at like Biden or Trump to lead the, you know, what, what their kids are exposed to. And I find that, I, I find that as a big flaw in our community. And I'm afraid as our, as future generations keep coming and then, you know, we're, we're, you know, the younger folks now, when they become adults and, and, and we're two generations separated from the mosque and we keep growing further and further away from the mosque, we're going to put too much trust in government. Government can help us on some things. Elected officials can help us on some things. But at the end, it comes down to us as a community. It comes down to our religion and our faith. And I don't care who's in office. You know, what, what I teach my daughter and what she's learning at home and what she's exposed to is going to be up to me. It's not going to be dictated by Trump or Biden. I, I really want to put that out there. And, 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 you know, we can't forget our faith. We can't forget the core tenets of our faith. We can't forget, you know, we, we have to allow our faith to dictate our politics, our positions, and our, 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 our nuances. And I really fear that we're moving away from that. And that really, that really worries me more than just about anything. What do you guys think is next for Muslims in America? I think that, you know, we cannot be complacent. Um, uh, and we, we definitely have to keep working. Like, this is not, okay, again, we've been talking about we have um, Biden elected. It, you know, the work has not ended. We have to continuously engage, um, not only civically, but also within our community. And we also have to collectively come together um, as representatives and organizers um, of different communities. And again, build that table, right? Build that table, discuss issues and the policies that we want to see and, um, you know, enforce in this, in this country that, um, you know, that not only helps our livelihood, but also um, makes an impact, um, you know, uh, internationally as well, right? I think what it comes down to as Muslims is we need to start looking within ourselves first in our homes and we need to build on, okay, what are those biases and different things that we could be doing differently as individuals to, you know, it's our moral obligation as Muslims to fight for justice and stand up for people and have compassion. So like the Snuva said and Abed and Hoda, that we need to fix our homes first, make sure we're taking care of our houses and making sure that the anti-blackness is gone from our communities. You know, even the Sunni Shia thing, you know, I struggle with that a lot in my own community where we don't bring all Muslims together when we're doing stuff, you know? So there's a lot of work to be done within our within ourselves, within our homes, within our local communities, and then going outward. But I think, you know, the struggle is going to be figuring out which ones are the glass balls and which ones are the rubber balls, right? Making sure we know which ones we need to take care of first and prioritizing. And that may mean more coalition building, you know, going to those that are doing it already, like the Black Muslim community, you know, learning from them and listening and then taking that back to our communities. We have a lot that we need to work on over the next four years before the next election. And that means you know, our external work with different communities and coalitions, but I'd urge us also internally that that's been said to, to work on our, you know, uh, to work with each other to determine our policy, to determine how to work better together, and to understand that, look, we, we're going to have the same, um, you know, objectives at the end, but we, we have to really put our community interests first 
and, and organize around community interests moving forward. I just feel like we need to understand what we're fighting for in the long term and how we're able to get that actually um, and not feel compelled to accept the choices that we feel like are the only two on the table but able to actually imagine and build um, the world that we want um, to live in uh, and figure out how we can do that um, starting today and tomorrow and rather than trying to like think about what's only happening um, right immediately in front of us.